Hello there once again, fellow peregrinos. Welcome to El Camino de Santiago Pilgrims podcast, where we talk about planning, preparation and packing for walking the road to Santiago. El Camino de Santiago, as well as tips, tricks and hacks to make your journey along the way a lot more enjoyable. This week, we have an interview with an international best-selling author, a lady from Chicago, USA, Leslie Ferris Yerga. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. Now, Leslie, we know you've walked the Camino Frances, and that was back in the fall of 2018. But please take us back to the time and place where and when you first decided to walk the Camino de Santiago and why. Okay. Well, thank you very much for that. Um, We were in Portugal, actually, um, celebrating our 30th wedding anniversary, my husband and I. And um, before I before we took that trip, um, I had watched The Way, the very famous movie starring Martin Sheen. Um, And it was kind of a special celebration. First of all, it was our 30th. And then second of all, it was it was just months after um, a diagnosis that I had gotten of stage four breast cancer. So, you know, we were trying to do it up. Um, and so we saw a little bit of the Portuguese way and we, we walked a little bit of it and it wasn't really a Camino vacation, but we saw it, we were there and that's when I got the idea. I want to walk the whole Frances way and I want to do it myself. And, um, furthermore, I think I can do it. And I just felt sort of called at that moment. Um, to do that and to take that journey. So that's that's when it was. It was so that would be maybe five months before I actually did it. And you chose the Camino Frances because it was the one that was featured in the movie The Way. Well, pretty much. And then I did some research and I saw that it was really the most, I guess, serviced, if you will. Um, and I just thought, yes, I want to do that 500 miles. And it seemed like a good amount of time and a distance that I could do. Um, and so I just chose that one. I considered the north, um, but then settled in on the, the, the French way. Had you ever done anything like that before? Not at all. Not at all. Um, you know, just a little bit of day hiking and things like that. And I'd always been a walker, but certainly not to that extent, you know. Um, five miles or so, five, seven miles, you know, for exercise or with friends or whatever, but not, not, not a serious hiker. Um, so no, I'd never done anything like that before. And I think that was part of the mystique of it was to do something that I'd never done before. Yeah. That's a a big commitment if you've never done anything like that before. Right. And what what was your husband's opinion on it? (laughs) Uh, At first he was a little... Oh, I think we could say offended that right. <laughs> I wanted to do it on my own. Um, and I was pretty adamant about that. But, you know, as as we discussed a little bit before, you know, I had some things to, to work out in mm. my head. And I knew that walking was therapeutic for me. I, I had walked enough to know that, you know, when I walk an hour and a half or two just around here at home, I get that effect. So I knew that it would do that for me. And I also knew that if I was, you know, trying to, to do it with somebody else, that I would not get as much as that as I needed. Mm. So that was, that was really the, the reason. 
Um, and then after he understood that, he was he was totally fine with that and completely supportive. Let's um, let's see, since this podcast is all about helping people to walk the Camino and getting over those barriers. So oftentimes those personal barriers are, are there for many people. How do you think they could go about approaching that with their partner? How did you go about approaching it? And what would you recommend that others do if they're going to say, actually, you know, I, I still love you and there's no problem, but I just need to, I need some time. Yeah. Um, well, it's not always easy on the one who, you know, is, is I guess, not invited. <laughs> um, but I think it just takes a little bit of time to come to understand it. And uh, my situation was kind of unique in that way. And then Mm. it it made it more understandable, if you will. And so, um, yeah, it just, it just takes a little, a little bit of time. It took maybe three, four weeks, you know, for us all to get to the point where it was okay for me to, Mm. you know, take off for five weeks or so, um, on my own, which I'd never done. At all, at all. I, you know, mm. we vacation together, we live together, we do everything together. So it was, it was a, it was an adjustment, if you will. So what you're saying is you can float it by your partner or your loved ones, but don't expect it to be accepted immediately. Give it some time to sink in and and let it become, yeah, accepted as something right. that's going to happen. It really does depend, I think. Mm. Um, because you know, certainly that was the case for me, but I also met people on the Camino who were married, um, or had a, you know, significant other or whatever, or that were doing it on their own. Um, and their partner was like, Oh my gosh, have that. I don't want to do that. So it was no problem. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I think it just depends on, on your unique individual situation as to how that goes. Okay, so let's fast forward to the point where you're about to pack for the Camino in fall 2018. What would be the first three things on your packing list, aside from the obvious, which would be backpack, boots and socks, stuff like that? Right. Um, I would say if you don't have sunscreen and a hat, you might have a problem. Um, it really does depend totally on the time of year, obviously, that you do it. But the sun is pretty strong out there. Mm. Um, and so I forgot to do sunscreen one day and I got, you know, I got sunburned and it was uncomfortable and I was already tan. So it wasn't like I was, you know, real fresh or new to the, you know, to the outdoors. Um, so I think sunscreen and a hat are pretty vital. Um, the other thing that I totally underestimated that I took that I used all the time in many, many different ways was a buff. I love that thing. You can put it around your neck. You can put it on your head. You can use it as a blindfold at night. (laughs) It's got multiple uses, hasn't it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, and so, um, I wouldn't go home or I wouldn't leave home without my buff. Yep, I completely agree with you, actually. I mean, like you said, in the morning, it can act as uh, as a scarf because it can be cold first thing in the morning. And for all the other things that you mentioned as well. And you also said about having the sunscreen and the hats. And it's interesting because you said you walked in the fall. And obviously, the, the sun can still be pretty fierce at that time of year. 
It really was. I started uh, walking on September the 16th, 2018. And I would say that first couple weeks, you know, I could really feel the sun beating down on me. Now, by the time I finished in late October, not so much, you know, and it wasn't as sunny, a little bit more overcast. Um, but if you're going to walk it in the summer or really any time, sunscreen and the hat, so vital. Yeah, I mean, especially even, I mean, I've walked the Camino in the wintertime as well. And sometimes when you're on the road mid-afternoon or early afternoon uh, or even midday, that, that sun can be pretty uh, pretty strong yeah. when it climbs to its zenith. So, yeah, I think it's, it's definitely uh, some really good recommendations there. So sunscreen, hat and a buff for multiple uses. Brilliant. Okay. Um, now let's talk about, obviously you've flown over from, I'm guessing Chicago. Yes. And Mm -hmm. for, I know that I have a lot of listeners in the USA for the podcast. So is there a potential travel path you could recommend when they eventually will be able to get there again? Um, a way of getting to the start your starting point, which was. So, um, I think there are multiple ways to get there from here that might be equally, Good, but I'll tell you what we did. We flew overnight from Chicago O'Hare to Paris, landed somewhere around, I don't know, maybe five or six in the morning, Paris time. And then we took a train, um, actually three trains. We switched twice and wound up in Saint-Jean. Um, and so the last one being, ba- you know, Bayonne to Saint-Jean. And we took that little two-car train mountain train from there to St. Jean, which I thought was just super charming because it was all walkers, you know, um, it was all people getting ready to start the Camino and St. Jean, they all their backpacks and poles and, you know, you could tell who they were and what they were doing. Um, and so that, I thought that was just kind of a inspirational prep. Um, so that by itself was just fun. So that's how we did it. Um, I think you can equally fly to Madrid and do something similar. Um, but I love the way we did it. You know, I love the way we did it. And it was pretty time efficient. We got into St. Jean maybe mm, four in the afternoon. That's a long day traveling, but I really think it's worth it if you've got the time and it's on your side, because especially when you get that last train from Bayonne to Saint-Jean and the views are stunning, aren't they? Oh, it's, that is so beautiful. You know, when I, I I do give presentations to people who want to know about the Camino and I've got um, three or four pictures of Saint-Jean and the Pyrenees in there, of course, you know, and I've got this great picture of that little town. And I always say, you know, this is so cute and adorable. Why would you ever want to walk out of it? I mean, (laughs) yeah, I mean, that train ride, it kind of winds around the the Pyrenees like uh, lights on a Christmas tree, you know, and rattles and lurches all around it. And you see the waterfalls and all the greenery. And it really does set the scene for what's about to to hit you when you go up into the Pyrenees on the first day. So if you have got the time and there's there's obviously faster, faster options, but I, I would really recommend that route to get there as well to get that slow train that right. feels like you're on a fairground ride doesn't it when you kind of yeah it's almost not a train it feels like it's like... going to come off the rails at any point <laughs> yeah it's kind of it reminds me of part train you know part cable car you know yeah. part yeah part carnival ride maybe <laughs> yeah yeah definitely recommend that so thanks yeah. for mentioning that as well reminding uh, our listeners they can take that that path to the start yeah you bet. so um 
At the start of the Camino, that often is when we're, we're breaking ourselves in, we're breaking our bodies in, we're breaking our feet in, we're breaking ourselves in mentally. And it's often the time when we sometimes make some uh, some rookie mistakes as we're, we're getting used to being on the road and walking every, every day. There may be one or two mistakes that stand out that you made in your first few days that you'd recommend others should be aware of and maybe not make. Yeah, so um, I walked straight from uh, St. Jean to Roncesvalles. I'm probably not saying that right. Um, I stopped in Orson for, you know, half hour. Um, and then, so I did that whole first day track in one day. Um, I hope to do the Camino again. And when I do, um, I will take my time and do that climb from St. Jean to Orson. Um, trying not to make time, trying not to go fast, but enjoying every second of it because it's so beautiful. Uh, and I will stay at Orson and then I will do the Orson Terrasafalis. Um, and first of all, I'll do it because I just want to stop and enjoy the beauty of the surroundings and be less concerned with, am I going to get there before dark? Um, and then also it's just a way to break yourself in. That was a long, hard day. I got into Roncesvalles maybe five, five thirty. I started at seven thirty in the morning and, you know, I sort of thought my legs were going to fall off and they didn't, of course, because legs don't do that. But I was really wondering, you know, and it's quite so, a vertiginous descent as well, all the way down from, uh, from the top. Yeah. And you know, jelly legs after you've yeah. climbed way up then you're going down and it sounds oh such a break i'm going downhill but not really no 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 right so i would do it that way i don't regret what i did i made it you know but i would take two days out of that instead of one um and then the other i think rookie mistake that i made which is partly personal and maybe even spiritual is that um i connected up with a group that and lovely people, lovely, lovely people. Um, and we started walking together and I started to just sort of do what they were doing, you know, like stopping when they stopped and take pictures when they took pictures. And, you know, so by the time I was entering Pamplona, I thought, no, no, this is not, this is not what I wanted do hmm. you know i want to walk my own camino not theirs um so you know that could be deep if you wanted it to be and um i just decided that you know i needed to break away from that group and be on my own and i'm so glad that i did i wish to see them again you know they went ahead of me and i never saw them again because they were going faster than i wanted to go um but so i would say that you know, the advice through all of that would be, you know, walk your own Camino. Hmm. Make sure you're getting from it what you want, not so much maybe trying to stay up with a group or, you know, if that's your thing, that's fine. But how, just how do you break off from a group without offending them? Well, I mean, we walked into Pamplona, which I stayed um, an extra day at because I was really ready for a day off at that point. 
Um, I needed my legs and feet to rest, you know, and they were going to blow right through it because they didn't want to see it. They thought it was too big of a city and didn't want to deal with it. And I thought, you know, I really want to see this town and I'm ready to stop. So we stopped for lunch and I said, Hey y'all, I'm, I'll, I'll see you down, down the trail. I am going to stay. There was an Alberta literally right across the street from where we were eating. And I just said, yeah, I'm, I'm going in there. I, I got to stop. I will. I hope to see you again. You know, Godspeed. So in some yeah. ways you're saying kind of find your time as well before you find the, your kind of tribe. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, people will come and go in and out of your life. Yeah. They just do. Um, and on the Camino is no different. Yeah, I mean, it's very much like the Camino. Like you say, people do come and go. You meet people from all walks yeah. of life. You can learn something from everybody you meet as well. But I think it's a, a nice thing that you did that you just became aware early on that this wasn't going the way that you felt like you wanted it to go and you had the courage to to break off and, and like you say, walk your own Camino and do it at your own pace. Right. Because who knows, you know, I, I, I want to go again. I, I will if I can, but who knows, right? Mm. I mean, who knew that we were going to be, have a pandemic? Who no, knew? You, you definitely, right? definitely, yeah, definitely did it at the right time. Yeah. So, you know, seize the moment, make it all that you want it to be. Well, I mean, uh, just on that, on that quickly, I mean, the, the Spanish prime minister said on Saturday, so we're recording this on Monday, let's have a look at the date on my phone, 25th of uh, May, and he said two days ago that they are planning and have been planning to reopen to international tourism in July and early July. So the details, the exact details haven't been given yet. And we don't know if that's just tourists from, for example, Spain and uh, Spain and France or Spain, France and Portugal. Um, And obviously Spanish tourism wouldn't be international, but there is talk of having a corridor or travel bubble between France and Portugal, um, which I guess would be of reciprocal benefit to all three countries. But let's hope it also means further afield as well um and one other thing i really liked what you said there was the word y'all because i haven't heard that said (laughs) since i spoke to my friends that live in pensacola um in florabama as they call it um and that's where i started as well when you said that it was like oh my heart purred a little bit so thanks for treating me to that (laughs) um well maybe i'll use it again if you like it yeah i did yeah please one more time for the end of the interview leslie thank you so let's talk about um let's talk about some you talk about breaking yourself in take your time finding your tribe as well stopping in odyssey because it doesn't make that first day too difficult and book in advance people because they are very 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 popular and in demand what about uh, if you hadn't worked walked anything like this before uh, blisters uh, foot care routines did you have anything that um that kept your feet healthy any routines any tips you can advise people well, um, several things. One, one thing that I'll say is I was pretty lucky in that regard. And so I had good hiking shoes before I went and I just decided why mess with a good thing. And I'm just going to keep these because they work for me. I'm going to try to get a new pair just to get a new pair. If you've got something that works for you, stick with it. I would say, um, 
go prepared for blisters, have a blister kit, you know, get some compede and, you know, be prepared because you never know. Um, and really being mindful of it. I did not have such problems, but I knew people who did and it was an issue. And what works so, for you? What works for you? What stopped you having problems? I think it was that my shoes fit well and they weren't too tight. Did you get any advice before you left from no, store no. professionals or you just kind of took a punt well, and went for it? Okay, so I had gotten my hiking shoes from REI. It's a big it's a big, you know, outdoor supply chain here in the United States. I don't know if they're international or not. But I had gotten fit fitted there with hiking shoes and we probably tried on six or eight different kinds of shoes before I found the pair that were perfect for me. Um, pretty spacious. They were not tight. You know, your feet kind of swell a little bit. And I even thought by the end of the Camino, my feet were actually a little bit bigger. Right. <laughs> um, so your spirit grew and your yeah. physically you, you got stronger and your feet grew as well. I think so. It's a win. And so, win, yeah, win, a win, win situation. Mm-hmm. So um, I would go. I would go prepared for the worst, and but you know make sure those shoes fit well and break them in. And the more of the story I'm getting from that is that you go and get professional advice, take your time trying them on in REI if you're in America, if you're in yes. the UK. There's loads of shops and they've got the Decathlon now as well in the UK. And yeah, find that that outdoor shop where you're going to get that professional help go and try some on and i i hear some advice saying like half a size to a size bigger and mm-hmm. trying them on with the hiking socks as well so brilliant Agreed. advice there thank you very much leslie now we always like to ask on the podcast i don't know why i'm saying we because it's always just me that's asking it but anyway i like to ask on the podcast a favorite alberg and one you'd recommend others stay at because these travel tips um, from this inside info is really useful to those that are, have never walked before and are planning out their journeys. So an Alberg that stands out in your memory somewhere you'd recommend others must stay at. You know, um, I liked so many of them and I don't really remember the name of this one, but it was the one that I stayed at in Pamplona and I was actually there for two days because I took a day off. That was my first day off and I, you know, walked around Pamplona, went in the cathedral, etc. Um, but it had, and I didn't see this anywhere else except Pamplona, but it had this it was almost like your own little private tent. So the bunks were kind of built into a wall. Um, and then you had your own outlet and a shelf um, for your stuff. And then like a little shade that you could pull down and it was private in there. And it felt so luxurious. Like, wow, I've got my own little room here. It was literally the size of a twin bed. But I was just digging it so much because... Um, it was comfortable. It felt good. And it had, you know, it had the little privacy shade. I thought, man, what else do I need? Um, and so I love that. And it was right near the cathedral. Perfect, perfect location. Um, I imagine everyone that walks the Camino walks right past it. It's right as you kind of enter the gate and start heading down to sort of a little bit downhill to where the cathedral is. Um, I remember it distinctly, but I just don't remember the name of it. But that felt fantastic. 
I shall do my research, find out exactly the name of that alberg and put a link on our Facebook page, which is El Camino yeah. de Santiago Pilgrims Podcast, and also on Instagram, which is at pilgrims underscore podcast. And that's it. I always I think there's more to it than that. But yes, at Pilgrims underscore podcast on Instagram and you'll find links to those places. Thanks a lot for that, Leslie. Now, um, from a favourite Alberg to a favourite city, somewhere that you'd recommend that, that people visit and stay. Oh, gosh. I stayed at Pamplona, Burgos and Leon. Um, Loved them all. Um, but I really... The thing that really like helped my soul out was after that third day staying in Pamplona for a day. So it just gave me a chance to rest my legs and my feet, get some good sleep, you know, walk around, really sort of immerse myself in the Spanish culture. And um, I felt so renewed after I did that. And I was just so glad that I did it. So you'd say Pamplona is that place? I think so. But mm. I wouldn't miss Burgos or Leon either. No, no. You know, so much to see. Beautiful, great food, you know, wonderful. I think one of the nicer things about Pamplona as well, it seems to be quite small as well, so you can get around the city and every kind of corner you turn into and every plaza you turn into, there's amazing places to eat. Oh, um, yeah. The, the the food is amazing as well. The pinchos, the tapas, the wine. Uh, yeah, it's really, really uh, amazing. So What I lived on there, I just, you know, stop in somewhere and get a vino tinto and some pinchos, and that was perfect for me. It would be rude I, not to as part own, of the culture. Oh, yeah, I did my own little, you know, pub crawl. That's not Spanish talk. That would be English talk. But, you know, um, I, that's what I did. I did it by myself. And I saw a bunch of people that I had already met. So I was just bopping around the, you know, the restaurants and bars of Pamplona on my own. It was wonderful. you got the I'd, perfect excuse there. Yeah, you're drinking the wine, eating the food. You're being a culture vulture. That's what it's all about. Yeah. Wonderful. Um, okay, so let's get into more specifics then. What about, can you remember a specific restaurant, cafe or bar that you thought, I would love to come back here again and, and others must go to? Oh, and again, I don't remember the name of it, but it was this incredible restaurant in Port Myron. I'm probably not saying that right either. Yeah, Porto Marin, uh, yeah. There you go. And it was kind of up high off the river and had glass windows looking out that direction. And we had the most incredible paella that I've ever had in my whole entire life. We actually had two of them. They had different you know, sort of flavors, if you will, um, of paella. And it was out of this world. And if I ever get remotely close to there again, I will find that place. Um, again, that's not that big of a town. We could probably actually find that online if we wanted to. Maybe we should do that um, just to recommend it because I thought it was it was just so good. And we just had so much fun. There was like six or eight of us decided to go out, um, venture out into a restaurant you know, the wine was flowing, the, the paella was fantastic, and we just had a ball. And so I would recommend that place for the fabulous paella that they had. And I'll try to find that. I'll so try to find that. Look out for the place in Puerto Marin, at the top of the hill, yeah. overlooking the river, and get yourself a paella there. And if we can oh. if we can find out where that is, we'll put it yeah. on our um, 
Facebook page, Camino de Santiago Pilgrims yeah. Podcast. Okay, we're going to launch into some quick fire questions now. Okay. And they're going to be short, sharp, quick answers. And we're going to run through them before we get back to the main discussion. All right? Okay, sounds great. Okay, apart from your own book, which is called Probably Benign and available online now at probablybenign.com, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, uh-huh. And Amazon as well. And Amazon. Amazon. So look out for yeah. that. And we will circle back to that at the, the end of the conversation as well. So apart from your own book, um, a Camino book or blog that you'd recommend? Well, I got to go with Briarly's guidebook. You know, um, that was fantastic. And I did not take it with me. Um, and a friend gave it to me the second day that I was there because I was struggling with the guidebook that I had. He said, oh, I've done the Camino before. This is the best one. Take it. And I used it every single day i would recommend taking that book with you favorite camino vlog or film uh well it's got to be the way but i'll push you is pretty good too love it favorite favorite food and or drink on the camino which i think we might already know beer oh okay so So (laughs) Wonderful. And paella and love the popo. Right. So beer and octopus. Good answers. Correct both times. (laughs) One thing you wished you'd packed. Oh, um, more sunscreen. I I had to search. More sunscreen. One thing you didn't need and wouldn't take again. You know, I used every single thing I took. I, I don't have anything that I shouldn't have taken. Honestly, one place, one place you wished you'd stayed over. Negroño for wine tasting. Mm, good city. Love Negroño. Mm-hmm. Hardest part of the Camino for you? Well, it's got to be the first three days, that first day, because it's the first day and you're not, you're not, you know, tuned up yet. And it's just a climb and back down. It's hard. Yeah. First day. Favorite thing about the Camino? The freedom and the not having a schedule and the lack of pretentiousness. A guilty pleasure you carried with you? Just my phone. Okay. That's it. Okay. Yeah. So you'd use it along the way? I did. I used it as my as my camera, obviously. I didn't have another camera on it, so I used it for that. But um, I did a little bit more social media on there than I wish that I had. And also, you got your husband as well that you had to keep in contact with. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, okay. that's right. Mm-hmm. All good. Okay, fantastic. So back to the main discussion now. So money matters. How did you manage your money on the Camino? Um, I just got some euros um, and kept myself supplied of, of euros every time I saw a bank machine in every, you know, kind of every sort of sizable town. I would assess whether I needed more euros or not because, as you know, a lot of the albergues don't take, you know, credit cards or anything. They want the cash. Um, and so I just I just kept enough euros with me to keep me going, and I had no issue with bank machines or anything like that. So that's how I did it. So people will be able to draw out money along the way at their ATMs? No, I did not have any issue at all. You know, I'd, I'd have a couple different methods maybe if one gets – you know, if one gets snagged for some reason, um, make sure that you tell your bank and your credit card company that you're not going to be at home, that you're going to be at a different place because sometimes they'll cut you off. That's really, really good advice, actually. Yeah. Yeah. 
because the last thing you'd want to do is just get over there, try and withdraw some money, and then you have your card blocked, and then you, your mm. funds are cut off. So, yeah, very, very good advice there. Thanks for that. Yeah. What about keeping your valuables safe? Is there a specific thing you did to keep valuables safe, Some something you carried with you, routines when you're at the Albergs? You know, I, I, I felt, um, rightly or wrongly, um, that I wasn't, I wasn't too worried about that. You know, whenever, um, I, I did have them carry my bag maybe eight or nine times out of the 35 days that I walked. And I always had a small backpack and carried my passport, my medicine, you know, my credit cards, all that kind of stuff in that. But at around albergues and the restaurants and stuff, I was not too worried. Um, I did keep everything in the in the top so I could get, you know, in the brain of it so that I could get to it. Um, you know, it, it, you, you kind of have to have a little bit of trust on the on the Camino because even if you're you know, you, you can't guard your stuff all the time because you're asleep, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah. you have to have you have to have a little bit of trust. And I found that one of the more refreshing things of the Camino actually is that um, I did not feel threatened. I did not feel like anything was going to be stolen. And um, so my guard was was less there than it normally is. Mm -hmm. And so I loved that. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I, I infrequently <laughs> infrequently easy for me to say i'll say it again i'll have a third attempt infrequently <laughs> receive yes. messages from often female pilgrims saying that they are they want to do it but they're afraid to do it is it safe what would you say to that um personally who knows but i felt safe every single minute and so you know <sighs> It's it's like everywhere else, you know, you need to need to keep your head about you. So, for instance, I didn't walk all night by myself. Most people don't, you know, um, didn't veer off the, the off of the Camino in any strange place or anything like that. Um, but I think the Camino, the albergues, the restaurants, the bars, uh, I never I never felt the slightest bit unsafe. And I actually think it is it is it is quite safe. Yeah, that's my opinion. Fantastic. Yeah, yeah. And that's one of the beautiful things about it is you know you don't feel threatened in any way. So that for whatever reason that you went on the Camino in the first place, you can do because mm. you're not preoccupied with that. Yeah, that'll that'll put a lot of people's fears to to rest there as well because those that are going to do it alone for the first time. I mean, it, even when I did it on my own for the first time, I was scared. I was scared. Didn't know where I'll be staying every night. I was scared because I didn't speak the language. Um, but that's part of doing the Camino is, is as cheesy and as cliche as it sounds. It is growing through those fears and growing by getting over those fears. So if you are one of those people that's thinking about it, take it from Leslie. Take it from me. I felt safe 100% of the time. You did as well. And obviously you've got a be streetwise, but don't let that be a reason not to go and do it, please. Um, right. Now, I'd like you, if you can remember the feeling when you walked into Santiago and what was it like? What were you thinking? 
what were your first thoughts when you arrived there? Um, getting your compost daily from the office. Maybe you go up to the the apostle in the cathedral and give him a hug. Describe describe it your arrival into Santiago and everything you were thinking and feeling. So, um, as as we've discussed, you know, I did this Camino by myself on my own. Um, but when you walk the Camino, you wind up seeing, even if you're on your own, the same people and over and over and over again. You know, because they'll pass you, you pass them, you wind up at the same albergue, you wind up eating at the same place, etc. So there were these, you know, five other people that that just just kept happening, you know, and, and we became friends, um, but we didn't stick together every single minute. Um, but we decided two or three days out that we were going to walk into the square together. So the last night before we stayed very close to the cathedral and the next morning together, we walked in together. Um, and that was, it was really kind of, it was really kind of special. Um, but one thing I noticed is the atmosphere, the vibe, the ambiance of people walking in from outside of Santiago through the town to the square where the cathedral is, is it's a little, it's a little somber, you know, like a lot of people are not talking, they're thinking, they're um, contemplating, you can tell. Um, and so it's a very unique type of vibe, if you will. Uh, and what I was thinking when I walked in was, I, you know, it, it, it was surreal. I was so happy to have done it. I was so happy to have made it because I wasn't sure I was going to make it all the way. Um, no one really is. Um, and then I was so sad that it was over. So it was this weird mix of sadness, happiness, uh, you know, hmm. Hard to explain. Yeah. I mean, it, like you say, there is a, a, a blend of emotions when when you first arrive, like elation that you've done it. Yeah. And you're ecstatic. You The, the sharing and the doubling of your joy with your fellow pilgrims that you've walked right. with. Um, yeah. Would you like to mention any of those now, just as a quick hello? Yeah, there was... Um... Katarina from Germany, now living in Austria. There was Marta from Poland, now living in the south of Spain. Lovely. Yeah. Um, and then there was uh, Mark from Portland. And um, just, yeah, it, it was it was just, you know, Katie from Colorado. Um, and we just, we just, it was strange because, you you would think that when you walked into the square that you could put into words what it's like, but and even when which I know we'll get to when I wrote the book about it, it mm. that was one of the hardest parts for me to write because I still couldn't put it into words very well. And so when you're writing a book, you have to put things into words, right? Um, but it was it was pretty difficult to put into words what that was like. Um, and so we had our journey together, the people that I walked in with, and then we had. You know, we had our own personal journey that only goes on inside our own hearts and minds. Um, so it, it's a very wonderful, difficult moment. Focusing on the the difficult 
personally, I know, and you touched on this as well, and I will ask you to tell a Camino story in a moment. And if we can somehow weave that into into your story as well, your book. Um, let's think about how it's possible for a pilgrim to become a person again, a civilian again, after such an adventure. Any advice you could give on making that transition as smooth as possible? Uh, I would not, unless you have to, maybe you do have to because of scheduling, but I would stay in Santiago for a day or two. Good advice. Yes. I would maybe um, walk or go to Muxia and Finisterre. Wow. Probably not saying that right either. No, you um, are. Let, let's just let's not uh, miss that because um, Muxia, M-U-X-I-A. I've heard yeah. amazing things about it. I've not been to Muxia. I've been to Finisterre, which for those who don't know is is the end of the world or yeah. was the end of the world back then, the end of the known world before the Americas were discovered. Um, yeah. And Europeans thought that was the end. They would walk to that point and for them that was the end of the world. Okay, so... Yeah. Just don't yeah. want to be play those down. That's really important. So you recommend going there? I do. And um, the story, maybe we could, you know, merge into the story. Please. Uh, there was a place along the way. And again, I don't really remember exactly where it was, but it was this really interesting, fun, hospitable place that people were hosting pilgrims for, you know, coffee, snacks for donation. And they had this thing called the um, the Shell Project. Where was this? Somewhere along the way. I don't remember where oh. it was exactly. Okay. Um, I, ha I think I had my head in a different place, so that's why I'm not remembering the names of places because I was I was having the internal experience. You know what I'm saying? Um, but anyway, they had this thing going called the Shell Project. So if you had a shell, a scallop shell with you, then they wanted you to write something on that shell that you wanted to let go of, you know, that you wanted to basically leave there. And they had trees, they had benches, they had rocks, they had a little brook there where you could figure out where you want to put your shell down, where you wanted to give something up. So I did that. And then I didn't have a shell anymore. So what I decided was, is that I'm going to put would my you shell. Be, would you be comfortable divulging what that was or it can remain personal or? Um, yeah, it was personal. Okay. I will say what it was. Yeah. Um, it was, it was about taking, um, all the sexism that I have experienced in my life. So personally. Okay. So I wanted to let go of, you know, having that be a personal affront to me mm. and just mm. replacing it with, you know, this is not, it's not about me. It's about a wider issue that we have in the world. Um, and so I wanted to change my mindset about that. Um, and so I wanted to let go of, of taking it personally. So I, that's what I wrote on the shell and I left it there at that place. And then I thought, okay, so now I don't have a shell to carry with me. So when I get to Finisterre, back around to that, I'm going to find another shell. And so, um, we went shell hunting, you know, scallop shell hunting there, um, which is what pilgrims used to do, right? They used to walk there and, and, 
get a, a scallop shell to basically prove that they that they'd done it. Um, and so I found my own little tiny pink, beautiful scallop shell, and I still have it. Um, so that was kind of it was it was sort of like closure for me to walk out there and be at the end of the earth and find the pink shell. And that pink shell, I guess, had some significance to do with the story behind your book as well. Yeah, kind of. I mean, I thought it was really just fascinating that it was pink and that was the one that I found because, you know, pink is the color of breast cancer mm. and that's what I have. So it seemed, I don't know, it just seemed kind of right. So when I saw it, I was like, oh, there's my shell, you know, it's nice. meant for me. Um, and so I that that really gave me closure um, to to come back and, you know, continue my life. So when you wrote your book, Probably Benign, which is quite a very ominous sounding title. I mean, I saw the cover, I saw the title, I was like, my God, that I really feel for what's ahead, you know, it's a clever title. Yeah. yeah. Um, did you write the book on the way? Did you walk the, the way and then decide to write a book? How did the book come to manifest? Um, when I was on the trail walking, you know, I had no notion really of writing a book. Um, what I did have notion of is, you know, gaining the strength, the confidence, um, and the wherewithal to do what I'm now doing. And that is to, um, try to affect change in the breast cancer screening world so that we can do better than we're doing. And so that, um, what happened to me will not happen to other people in the future. You know, and you, it, we all have these things in our head, like, who are you to do that? You're not a doctor. No one's going to listen to you. You're not famous, you know, um, on and on like that is, is, are these little gremlins in our head, you know, that the inner, um, inner our minds. And so as I was walking on the Camino, I did all the work around, okay, let's put those ideas aside and do what you want to do. Um, and so the months after the Camino, I thought, huh, what's one way that I could, that, that I could get this job done. And that is to, you know, write a book about the Camino, which is interesting to people who, you know, don't know anything about it. And um, maybe this is one way that I can help to spread the message in an interesting and unique way. Um, and that's when it that's when it was born after I got back. And how did you is it a, a memoir? Um, I mean, how did you compile the material? Were you taking notes along the way was it from photos, um, emails? How did you manage to take your experiences from the Camino and put it on to put it between two covers. Yeah. So, um, the, it's not really a memoir, right? you know, it's not really about my life. So the book starts, uh, pretty much with me in St. Jean and ends at the cathedral. So you take this walk with me across Spain in the book and in that, I weave in um, metaphoric parallels from the Camino about breast cancer screening. 
and the state of affairs that we're in. So I laugh my head off and say, no one's ever going to accuse me of plagiarism because I don't think anybody's ever done that before. You know, like... (laughs) It's a unique angle. Yeah, it's a unique angle. But an important one as well. Yeah, so they're just... You know how the Camino is so metaphorical. Mm. You know, Mm. there's just so much metaphor out there. Um, And so I took note of those metaphors you know, really in, in my mind. And I recorded a few on voice memos on my phone. Um, and then, um, I knew that I would have trouble really assimilating all this on my own. So I wound up using, um, I don't like the term ghostwriter. I use the word co-writer instead. So I actually hired a co-writer to help me, you know, weave it all in, in the way that I wanted it weaved in. Um, and so we both really wrote every word of it. Um, but he helped me frame it in such a way that, um, I don't think that I would have been able to do on my own. So someone else channeled your mission for you. Well, kind of, I mean, we, we spent a weekend together and he interviewed me for many, many, many hours, you know? Um, and then he wrote an outline of the book and, um, then really we kind of co-wrote it actually together from that outline. Um, and so I was so in the weeds with some of it that he was able to not be into the weeds, Mm. you know? Um, so it, I just think it was kind of, um, magic that, that turned out from us feeding off of each other. And that's how it happened. It's interesting as well, because many people that walk the Camino maybe think they want to write a book as well, or they wouldn't know how to record their experiences. So that's actually one really viable option that's open to you. If you need a bit of help with it, if you're maybe not a wordsmith yourself, um, you could always hire a a ghostwriter, which is something that's not come up on the podcast before. So I really love what's, what's come out of this podcast. And I also, you know, want to thank you as well, because cancer is something that's touched affected should i say so many people's lives and not always in a you know in a positive way and and sometimes it can be a positive that people you know they grow from it and families can grow closer and it can bring people a brush with mortality can make you see what's important in life and that can be a positive for it but it has really tested so many relationships and people and i know my my stepmother for example she's recovered from breast cancer my mother-in-law as well and there's so many people that will take something from what you've written so just to say you know thank you from me and i'm sure on behalf of all the the listeners that have experienced and been affected by it as well oh yeah you're welcome and i I do hope that you know people are are, when they read it aren't inspired to walk the camino Hmm. for whatever reason that they would do it for um but also to you know to learn something about breast cancer screening and maybe do better than they had done um you know once they once they know some new information so you know at least double duty there from the book i hope and where can the listeners find your book online and keep in contact with you online as well leslie Right. So if you go to my, my own personal website, leslieferrisyerger.com, um, you'll be able to do anything from there. You can buy the book from there on the website or Amazon or contact or hook up with me on social media. 
Um, so that's it. LeslieFerrisYoga.com. LeslieFerrisYoga.com. I'll put a link to your website and our Facebook page as well. Leslie, you did mention that you do harbor ambitions to go back to the Camino sometime soon, whether it's the Frances, the Norte, whether it's with your husband this time or on your own again. I want to thank you so much for your time. Thanks for being kind enough to share your story. Thanks for your amazing recommendations. And I hope somehow somewhere to catch up with you again sometime sooner or later and just want to wish you buen camino and the camino camino motto which is ultrea move forward with courage thank you so much i enjoyed it um and thanks for having me on 